Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont campus. If we don't know each other, my name is Brian, I'm the pastor at Mount Hope in Belmont, and it's good to talk to you today. The sermon that you're about to hear was recorded as a part of our global outreach celebration. This week, we take a look at one person in the Bible who had a very difficult time showing God's love to a certain group of people. And we ask ourselves, are there barriers in our life that are stopping us from showing God's love? And are we spending our time, our talents, and our resources on things that are truly significant? These are important questions, and I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you listen closely, because I believe God has something that he would like to say to you. seated and if you want to if you have a bible with you or you have it on your phone or you want to grab one of the bibles uh, in one of the rows in front of you there we are going to be in the book of Jonah in the book of uh, in just a few moments and so if you're not too familiar with where Jonah is in the bible uh, you might want to go to the tables of contents it's in the old testament it's towards the end of that list if you start seeing names like Obadiah and Amos and Zechariah and Zephaniah you're in the ballpark uh, and you'll find Jonah in there, and you can turn there. Jonah's only four chapters, and we're going to take a look at the last chapter in just a moment. Listen, I know what you're thinking. Uh, you walked in this morning, and you weren't sure exactly which Sunday it was, and you heard me say, uh, it's the last Sunday of Global Outreach Celebration, and you said, oh, no. And then the missionary said, uh, talked about being good givers, and you were like, I knew it. And then you flipped over your connection card, and there were dollar signs with empty spaces on the back, and you said, oh, come on. This is the Sunday that they're going to ask us to give money. And then you started acting like you were on an airplane and trying to figure out which exit was closest to you and which one you could get to quickest. That's all right. I understand the dynamic. But we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And we are going to talk about money at the end of the service. But it's important. We're going to talk about a much bigger question, though, today. And it's a question I've been thinking about lately. And the question has to do with something far bigger than, than money or resources or time or anything like that. The big question I want us to think about this morning has to do with significance. And specifically, are we spending our time, are we spending our lives on things that are truly significant? That's the big question that I want us to think about. That's a question that plagues me. Uh, in my life, and if you're like me, I'm sure it's one that comes to your mind as well. It especially comes to mind on a day that's spent doing things like watching college football or streaming a show on Netflix for 10 straight episodes, and then asking myself the question, is that time that I've spent there, is the resources I've invested there, am I doing things with my life that are significant? My guess is, is that every living, breathing person on this world asks themselves the same question. My guess is you ask yourself the same question. The reality is, is that the things that are most visible, maybe to other people, and the things that we often spend the greatest amount of time doing, when we really get to the end and we start to look back, don't, are not always the most significant things that matter the most. So this afternoon, as I shared, I'm going to go to a wake for Jenny Driscoll's father, Dennis. He was a, a postman for decades that's an important part of his life. But there are far more significant parts of his life. 
far more significant parts of his life, the time he invested in his family, the time he invested in his friends, the time he invested in his relationship with God, far more significant than the job that he did. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I think about that. We spend all these times doing certain things, and we have to ask ourselves sometimes, is the thing that I'm spending the majority of my time on actually something that's significant or not? I heard a story uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and a story by the man name of a man by the name of John O'Leary. And John just released a book called "On Fire: Seven Principles to Ignite a Radical Life." Now, the book is title is ironic, and John himself has a pretty good sense of humor in his story, and even how he titles his book. Because when John was nine years old, he was playing with matches and a can of gasoline in his parents' garage. And he very literally was lit on fire. He had third-degree burns over 100% of his body. And he was given by doctors a 1% chance to live. Now, here's what happened. John was lying in a hospital room in St. Louis, Missouri, where he grew up. And there was a man that lived in St. Louis, and his name is, was Jack Buck. Jack Buck has, has passed away, but you might know the name Jack Buck. Jack Buck, if you're a baseball fan, is a legendary baseball announcer. And his son, Joe Buck, uh, is a big announcer with Fox Sports. And so you may have heard the name before. So Jack Buck is calling Cardinals baseball games in St. Louis. And he hears about nine-year-old John O'Leary in a hospital in, in near, nearby. So Jack decides to go to the hospital and he walks into John O'Leary's room. And here's this young boy, nine years old, burned over 100% of his body. The doctors have given him a 1% chance to live. And Jack walks up to him and wakes him up. Usually you would tell him to let the patient sleep, I would assume. Wakes him up and he says, kid, you listen to me. You're going to live. You're going to survive. You're going to make it. And the doctors told uh, Jack that that probably wasn't going to happen. And so what Jack did is for the next five months, every single day walked into that hospital room, woke him up if he was sleeping and told him the exact same thing. Kid, look at me. You're going to make it. You're going to survive. And when he was on the road for a Cardinals game, he would send somebody in his, in his stead. And that person would walk in and wake John up in bed and say, listen, Jack wants you to know you're going to make it. You're going to survive. And so John did make it, of course, but that's not where the story ended because as he was still recovering, Jack sent him a baseball in the mail. And John pulled out the baseball and it was signed by Ozzie Smith. Now, I don't know if you're a baseball fan or not, but if you're a nine-year-old boy living in St. Louis, there is probably no better player to get an autographed baseball from than the Hall of Fame shortstop, Ozzie Smith. And so he pulls out this baseball, and Jack Buck said to him, listen, buddy, there's another one coming. All you have to do is write a thank you letter to Ozzie Smith, and I'll send you another baseball. Here's the challenge for John. The fire left him with no fingers. In fact, if you saw that last picture where he was holding the microphone, you can very plainly see that he has no fingers left on his hands. And so he took a pen and very crudely scratched out a thank you letter to Ozzie Smith. And he sent the letter off, and another baseball came. And by the end of the season, John had 60 baseballs from the biggest names in the game all over the country, but more importantly, John learned how to write. Now, you think about Jack Buck, who has passed away. Most people, if they've heard that name, especially in St. Louis, Missouri, 
think legendary baseball announcer, but here's the question that I would ask you this morning. What about Jack's life was more significant. The fact that he called some of the biggest baseball games to ever be played on the radio and television or the time that he spent with John O'Leary changing that young boy's life. What was more significant? And when I think about something like that, I think about my life and I have to ask myself the same question. Am I really spending time and energy on things that are truly significant? We all have to spend time and energy on the things that we have to do. We have to do yard work. We have to do, have a job to pay the bills. There are things that we have to do, and we always have to spend time on those things. But is there a place in your life and my life where we are spending time and energy and resources on the things that are truly significant? That's the big question. And this morning, to answer that question, I want us to take a look at a guy in the Bible who we probably know for something big. In fact, when I say the name Jonah... If you grew up in Sunday school, the story comes to your mind like that. And even if you didn't grow up in church world, there's a chance you've heard the name of Jonah because the story is that well known. There's something that we think about with Jonah. But what I would suggest to you today is that's probably not the most significant part of the story. In fact, I'm sure of it, that it's not the most significant part of the story. And we're going to ask the question this morning, when Jonah had his chance to do something significant, how did he respond? And we're going to ask ourselves, when we have the chance to do something significant, how will we respond? If I say the name Jonah, what do you think of? The whale, right? The whale. Jonah and the big fish. I don't know. There's some some questions about whether or not it's, it's, it's a whale or not, fish, mammal, whatever. But the story goes, the Bible does say big fish. This is the story of Jonah. Jonah is a prophet of God. God comes to Jonah and he says, Jonah, I want you to take my word and deliver it to an evil city called Nineveh. Now, here's the job of a prophet. If you're a prophet, you are God's voice to the people. That's what a prophet does, especially in the Old Testament when we see prophets. They are bringing God's uh, warnings to people. They are bringing God's compassion to people. They are bringing whatever message God has for the people, they bring it. They are the mouthpiece of God. And so God has this prophet Jonah, and he says, I want you to take my a warning to the city of Nineveh, the great city Of Nineveh, and Jonah looks back at God and he says, No. That's an unusual response of a prophet to God. This is their whole life, this is their whole job to take the message that God gives them and deliver it to the people. God says to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go, and Jonah says, No. In fact, Jonah, Jonah just doesn't say no. Jonah hops on the fastest ship he can find and starts sailing in the opposite direction. And while he's on that boat, a great storm starts, and all of the uh, captain and the people working on the boat are panicking because they're going down in the midst of this great storm. And Jonah is asleep in the bottom of the boat. So they go and wake him up, and they're like, what is wrong with you? Aren't you nervous? And Jonah's kind of like, well, not really. I'm actually the problem, if you guys want to know. Uh, if you get rid of me, the storm will stop. And they're like, we're not going to do that. That's murder. We're not going to throw you over the side of the boat. And Jonah finally convinces them. If you read the story, he says, listen, I know you don't believe in the God I believe in, but here's the deal. I'm running away from him and it's not going too well. You should get rid of me and everything will be fine. So they throw him over the side of the boat and a big fish comes 
and swallows Jonah. You say to me, did that really happen? We don't really have a lot of time to get into it, but here's my short elevator speech answer to that. Listen, I believe that God created this world. I believe he holds it all in his hands. I believe that God does miracles in this world. And if God wants to use a fish to teach a prophet a lesson, I believe that he could do it. So Jonah is in this fish, and the fish, after three days, vomits Jonah up onto the land. Now, if you look at the Hebrew word, and you look at it in all its different translations, there's only one thing it can mean, and it means exactly what you think it means. It means throw up. It means puke. It means vomit him up onto the dry land. It's not a pretty picture. This is not as much of God's grace as we sometimes think it is. This is a violent picture of of how God really feels about Jonah at the time. That's what I think. So Jonah now is vomited out onto the dry land, and finally he's convinced, as we all might be at this point, uh, to go to Nineveh and do what God asked him to do and to tell the Ninevites, listen, God's going to destroy you if you don't start to follow him. And something happens that Jonah did not see coming. The Ninevites all repent, and they turn to God. Now, if you're a prophet, and you were going to write down like five-year goals, and you were going to write down what success learns like, looks like, an entire city of over 120,000 people, we read in the text, coming to follow the one true God, that's got to be number one on the list. Like, if you could do anything as a prophet, it's nice to do the one-on-one thing. It's nice to do small groups of people. But if you had a whole city of 120,000 people receive the message and believe in what you're saying, that's got to be top of the list. It would seem to me that that would put Jonah up onto whatever speaking tour was available at the time, whatever those speaking fees looked like, whatever publishing opportunities that there were, that would be a big deal. Jonah doesn't see it that way. And at the very end of the book of Jonah, we're just going to read a few verses here. This is what he says. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. God saw what they did. This is the Ninevites. God saw what the Ninevites did. How they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. In fact, if we were to take a real straight translation from the text, it might say something like this. What God did was exceedingly evil to Jonah. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, listen to this question. The Lord said to Jonah, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Is this a good attitude for you to have right now? And then the very last verse, verse 11, God says, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Jonah, this is a big, prosperous city. Why would I not care about these people? 
If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that this global outreach celebration that we've been having, the theme of this is Beyond Borders. Meaning, are we willing to go beyond borders, not just physical borders, but other borders as well? I love what Chris and Teresa are doing in Northern Asia, where they're going beyond a border that exists there, and they're willing to put the time and energy and effort to learn Chinese sign language so that they can share. There's all sorts of borders that we have that need to be crossed so people can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And the question is whether or not we're willing to do it. Jonah had borders in his life that he was unwilling to cross cross in this situation. And as far as I can see in the text, there were three of them. And the first border that Jonah was unwilling to cross were the other people. You see, here's the deal with those Ninevites. It's a big city for its time, a great city as God calls it. But it's also part of the Assyrian Empire. Maybe you can think back to one of the history classes you took a long time ago. Or if you're not familiar with the Assyrian Empire, I'll just share a couple of things with you quickly. The Assyrian Empire under rulers like Tiglath-Pileser III was one of the most brutal group of people uh, to ever exist on the earth. In fact, the way they treated other people is horrendous. We're not going to get into all the stories because they're not fun stories to talk about. And they were over the Israelites. They were over God's people. They held them captive for a long time. Picture Jonah, prophet of God, Israelite, Jewish person, being held under captive by an evil, ruthless people known as the Assyrians. My guess is that Jonah and his family had suffered greatly at the hands of the Assyrians. And even if it wasn't directly his family, there is no doubt. I mean, the Israelites are a big people. The Jewish people are a big people. But they're also a specific group of people. I'm sure the story spread quickly that he knew people that knew people or he knew people whose lives were taken at the hands of the Assyrians. And the things that the Assyrians would do, not just the brutality of the way that they would kill the people they were in charge of, but the mind games they would play surrounding cities for weeks and cutting cities off from food and water supplies and letting the city know that they're going to attack and everybody's in big trouble, but just taking their time before they do it. They were an evil people. And Jonah had a big border. They were the other people. Listen, I know we don't talk about this much in our society. A lot of us have other people. There's just borders we're not willing to cross. Could be a number of reasons, but in many cases, we're just like Jonah. Someone has harmed us, or someone harmed someone we knew, or someone harmed someone that we had a story. We saw the news And so we just have this thing inside of us that there are certain borders when it comes to other people we're not willing to cross. Jonah wasn't willing to cross those either. But there was a second border that Jonah was dealing with, and that is God himself. In fact, Jonah quotes Exodus 34 back at God, uh, almost mocking God. He says, listen, I didn't want to go to Nineveh because this is what I know about you. You're a God who's compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. And that's my least favorite characteristic about you. And so that's why I didn't want to go to Nineveh because I knew if I told the Ninevites that you were going to forgive them if they turned and repent, that they would repent and I knew you would do it. And I'm not really a fan of that action because these are the Ninevites. 
And I don't like that part about you, God. I like the part where you care about your people, the Jewish people of which I'm a part of. I like that you care about me. I don't like that you care about these other people. And that was a border that Jonah was unwilling to cross. That attribute of God, that characteristic of God, was something that he just couldn't get on board with. But there was a third thing. And it was just himself. Because of everything that was deep down inside of Jonah, because he was very happy with what God does for him, and he didn't want to put his life on the line, he didn't want to be that guy that the other people would look at and say, Jonah, why would you go to Nineveh? And he would say, well, God told me to. And his family and people that knew him would say, you have lost your mind. What is wrong with you? Why would you take your time and energy and resources and to put him into something like that? And because of who these other people were and because of of the fact that Jonah just could not wrap his mind around this specific attribute of God and the fact that he himself just didn't want to be that guy who stepped out and did it, Jonah said no. And not only did he say no, he found himself with a certain attitude about the whole situation. And God asked him this key question that I think is so important. God says to Jonah, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Jonah, is this a good look for you? Is this a good place for your heart to be right now? To be stuck in this place where you're so put off by this group of people and so refusing to believe that I am a God that has enough compassion and love for everyone that I've created. And, and, and you're so hung up on who you are and yourself that, that, that you're unwilling to participate in this whole thing. Do you do well to be angry? And what I would say to you this morning is that the life of Jonah exists in Scripture as a warning to the Israelites and as a warning to us. Jonah missed an opportunity to be a part of something significant. And then even when something significant was happening around him, he wasn't willing to participate. He had an attitude about it. And so God poses this question to him and says, Jonah, is this a good look? And the thing that you and I know Jonah for today is not that he was so significant, is not that he did something significant. What we know about Jonah is that he's the one who God taught a lesson to through a big fish. That's what we know about Jonah. And that was the audio Bible by Max McLean, available on version if you'd like to listen later. It's all right. But that's what we know Jonah for. We know Jonah because God had to teach him a lesson, not because he was a part of one of the most significant revivals in a city that has ever happened. We have this global outreach celebration, and being a part of missions around the world is foundational to us at Mount Hope. And I think the question comes up every year, why do we do this? Why do we do this? And I would suggest to you, listen, we should be excited about being a part of this for the same reasons why Jonah was against it. 
We should be excited about being a part of what God is doing in our own backyard and around the world for the same reasons that Jonah was against it. You and I have the opportunity to be a part of something significant. The question is, what sort of attitude are we going to have around it? You know, we go beyond borders because of other people. That's why we go beyond borders. Because God is a God who created every single person on the face of this earth and cares about whether or not they know him. We go, be, we go to other people beyond borders because even though the person that is in our community that does not yet know about Jesus is just as lost as the deaf person in Northern Asia who doesn't know about Jesus, there is a massive difference when it comes to access to the gospel. The person across the street that doesn't know Jesus Christ has a huge access to the gospel. You're all right here in this room. The person in Northern Asia who is deaf has very little access to the gospel. In fact, because of Chris and Teresa, they may have their first opportunity ever. And so we go beyond these borders because of who those people are. They are, are, are just as lost as anyone that we would meet any day. But their access to Jesus Christ is very different. And so we go. But we don't just go because of the other people. We go because who God is. Our God is a compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. And just like he said to Jonah, why shouldn't he care about the people that he's created in this world? You see, I think many of us, we love the fact that God cares about us. We love the fact that God created us, that he made us. We're less excited about the fact that, that he loves other people. But the reality is he does, and he calls us to it as well. And the third thing is we go beyond borders because of who we are. We are saved by Jesus Christ, and it is the call that he has placed on our life to go and tell other people about him. If you were here last week, Greg Mundus talked, and he said Jesus' last command that he gave, go and make disciples of all nations to his disciples. Greg said to us, his last command should be our first priority. That if we are followers of Jesus, and this is, I get it, it's a real insider message. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I am glad that you're here. You get to hear what's really important to us to those of us who follow. But for those of us who follow, that last command that Jesus gave to go and make disciples of the nations should be our first priority. That's who we are in Christ. And the reality as well is that we are part of a culture and a society. And I know there's all different levels within our culture. But the reality is that for most of us, we have been blessed to the point that we can bless others. Most of us have been blessed to the point that we can be a blessing to others. And so we go because of who those other people are, we go because of who God is, and we go because of who we are. 
I know the reality. The reality is we hear all of those things and we can say to ourselves, listen, I'm not willing to go. Those other people are so far off. I'm not willing to go. I am here to focus on myself. That's why I come to church is because I want to experience God's presence for me. I want to hear what the message is for me. I'm trying to make my life better. I'm trying to get through the day. And so we put up that border and then we say, we say we're not gonna go because we don't fully appreciate who God is. And so because of the other people, because we like God and that he does stuff for me and because we're just here for ourselves, we're not willing to go. And the question I have for you this morning is the same question that God asked Jonah. And I would just ask you, do you do well having that attitude? As a follower of Jesus Christ and understanding the priority that God places on this in his word, do we do well saying, I'm just going to sit this one out? C.S. Lewis has this great illustration. He says when we're trying to think about how we should live our lives and how we do things that are significant, it's kind of like we're a captain of a ship on the water. And he said a captain of a ship has to answer three questions. So the, sh- the captain takes the ship out on the water, and the first question the captain has to ask him or herself is, how do I make sure we're safe? How do I make sure we don't sink? And so that's a question of self. How do, I make, how do I prioritize myself in this instance? The second question a ship captain has to answer is how do I keep from bumping into other boats? And that's a society question. How do I exist in this world, in this society, without taking other people down? But the third question C.S. Lewis says the captain must ask him or herself, if they're a good captain, is why am I out on this water in the first place? And he says, until you answer the question of why am I out here in the first place, until that question is answered, you cannot answer the next, the first two. How do I keep myself from sinking and how do I keep from running into other people? You can't answer those questions until you understand why you're on the water in the first place. Suggest to you this morning, why are we here? Why has God put us here? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has a mission for you. And that mission is to participate in making disciples of all nations. Not just in the backyard, that's important, but around the world. At Mount Hope, we have missions partners all over the globe. In fact, some of the the markers that you'll see on this map here represent multiple missions partners in one area of the world. And so this is just an invitation this morning to be a part of something that's happening that's significant. When a person turns their life over to Jesus Christ, it is a significant thing. It's the most significant thing that can happen. A person moves from death to life. How much time and energy do you spend on that? If that's the most significant thing that could happen in this world, how much prayer, how much time, how many of your resources go towards that end? I don't know about you, I'm challenged by that question. Because I put a lot of time and energy and resources into what entertains me. I put a lot of time and energy and resources uh, into things that I think are fun. 
I put a lot of time and energy into things that seem important right now, but if I'm honest with myself, when it's all said and done, they're not that significant. What is significant is following Jesus Christ and seeing other people do the same. Are you spending your time and energy and resources on what is most significant? One way to do that is to participate in global outreach at Mount Hope. I'm not going to pretend that there's not other ways to do that, but this is one way to do it. This is the way we do it as a church. That we support people who were here like Ed and I two weeks ago. That we support people like Chris and Teresa. That we support people like Greg and Rita Detweiler who are doing great work in the city of Boston. That we support people like Lynn and Jean Breitenbach and Thomas Vanderland who are doing great work on the campuses down in the universities in the city. There's people sitting in the room today that are a part of what we're talking about. And it's significant work. So how can you be a part of it? There's a couple ways you can be a part of it. The first is to give. And if you look on the back of that card, there is a spot for you to write down that you would be willing to give. Let me tell you this. For every $200 that's given to global outreach, in, uh, to the assemblies of God around the world, one person comes to know Jesus Christ. So if you're the kind of person that gives $100 a month to global outreach, six people a year are coming to know Jesus Christ because of your willingness to invest in what is happening around the world. Our faith promise giving at Mount Hope over the last five years has been pretty steady. We're not upset about it. This number is high. Is, I'm always amazed at how high this number is. We have 300 people in service between our two campuses on a Sunday morning, maybe a little bit more sometimes, 350 people. Those people over the last five years have given over $100,000 each year to global outreach. This is a big part of our church. But it's pretty much plateaued over those five years. We're praying and believing that this year, those of us who participate in this would be willing to give just 5% more 10% more, it would make a huge difference in allowing us to jump over that $110,000 mark for the year and be able to do more to support what's happening around the world. So you can give, and it makes a difference. But the other thing you can do that makes a huge difference, especially if you honestly feel like you're in a place where you can't give right now, is to pray. I have a stack of prayer cards for Chris and Teresa. I'll get you any prayer card you want for any of our global outreach partners. We're looking for people who would be willing to adopt global outreach partners and pray for them either as individuals or in a small group situation. And so maybe you'd be willing to do that, to say, I will pray for that person. And there's a spot here on this card to commit to that as well. And if you sign your name and you say, I want to pray as an individual or the group that I meet with, we want to pray for a specific missions partner, we'll contact you and give you a missions partner that you can be supporting. But the other thing that you can do is you could go. Over the next couple of months and in the next year, we'll have a few short-term mission trips that will happen. And they're not on the card right now, but I can tell you that they're coming. And so maybe in your heart, you would say to yourself, you know what, when that opportunity arises, I'm going to learn more about it and I'm going to be a part of it. This is an opportunity for us to be a part of something that is truly significant. That is lives around the world coming to know Jesus Christ. And what is significant in your life when it's all said and done?
is that your heart is in line with the heart of God. And I can tell you because it's all over this book that the heart of God is that people around the world in all nations and in all people groups of every tribe and tongue would know who Jesus Christ is. Jonah's heart was not in line with that. It just wasn't. My prayer for us is that our hearts would be in line with that. I'm going to ask you, if you would, just to grab this card, the card that you got when you walked in, and just look at it with me for a moment. I'm going to pray for us, and our ushers are going to put up at the front of the stage a couple of buckets. And maybe you've been a part of this for years, and you know the drill, or maybe this is your first time. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you're like, listen, I don't know if I can commit to this. That is okay. Take this thing home. Put it on the refrigerator, if that's what people still do. Put it somewhere where you'll see it, and think about it and pray about it this week. But maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you're saying, listen, I know that God wants us to be a part of this. God wants me to be a part of this. I'm going to invite our worship team forward, and we're going to close with a song. And I'm going to invite you, if you're ready to be a part of this this morning, whether you're praying or whether you're giving, to fill out this card, and as our worship team plays, just to come forward and drop it in the bucket, saying that you want to be a part of what Mount Hope is doing and what is happening around the world. Like I said, if you're not ready today, that's okay. But I would ask you to take it home and think about it and pray about it. And even bigger than that, even bigger than this card, even bigger than Global Outreach at Mount Hope, I want you to answer this question in your life. Forget all this for a moment and just think about this question for your life. You're doing a lot of things that seem important. Are they truly significant? You're doing a lot of things that take a lot of time and energy and effort. They seem so important in the moment, but are they actually significant in eternity? And where in your life are you participating in what is most significant? Seeing others come to follow Jesus Christ. Where's that making it in your life? If you're a follower of Jesus, it should. God, I pray in these next few moments that you will speak to our hearts by your spirit as to what you want us to do. Lord, I know some in this room you're calling to pray. I know some of us in this room you're calling to give. Whatever it is you're calling us to do, God, help us to be faithful in it. Would our hearts be like your heart? And would we spend our lives doing things that are truly significant? I pray it in Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont campus. At Mount Hope, we gather each week to learn more about God, grow in our love of God and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts area, we'd love to have you join us. We meet Sunday mornings in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and Sunday mornings in Belmont at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at our website, www.mounthope.org. Have a good day, and we'll see you back here next week.